Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. This week on the agenda, Turkey decides another five years for President Erdogan. But what will this mean for the country's faltering economy and foreign policy? It was close, but Recep Tayyip Erdogan has extended his grip on presidential power in Turkey. In spite of deep divisions across the country and severe economic woes, Erdogan was handed another mandate for the next five years. But what does this victory mean for the people of Turkey and its relations with the wider world? Well, to discuss that, I'm joined by Murat Aslan, a senior researcher at the SETA Foundation, and Ozan Ozkurul, founder and managing partner of Tanto Capital Partners. Gentlemen, great to see um, both of you. Um, Murat, I'll start with you. you know, why was this election talked about as being the most consequential in Turkey's recent history? What's at stake? Uh, well, first, I have to confess one thing. It's a, it was a democratic feast because everybody competed in a fair way, even though there were some harsh sentiments uh, by the mouth of the politicians in here, where they competed and people were very happy while casting their votes even entering building or leaving building, doesn't matter. So it was a democratic festival right now. And this election has become one essential dispute, one essential uh, argument that it will be a turning point in the history of Turkish political history. And this was the allegation of the opposition, mainly the Millet Alliance led by Kılıçdaroğlu. But I don't see it as such because we have elections in every five years and you can even change any governing authority by voting. So I don't think that. On the other hand, that, that that's the third term of Erdogan. That means they are expecting some fundamental changes in the state system though. Erdogan clearly says no. So that's why there was a sort of exaggeration in the uh, mouth of opposition. And one final thing, you know, up until now, uh, Erdogan led country like 21, 22 years. So the opposition, the main opposition party lost the elections like 12 times. Yeah. So it has been another defeat in the elections. So they can't explain it to their backers. That's the yeah. story. I Yet many observers expected Erdogan's two decade rule to, to end um, with this election. So um, Ozan, I wonder how has he managed to defy the odds? And what do you think the next five years are going to look like? Look, I think he has managed to defy the odds in a way because ultimately he knows how to do politics uh, with the, the population he has under his hands. I think the main question that we are asking as investors globally is what will the Turkish monetary policy look like? Uh, and especially in the context of what's happening around the world vis-a-vis -vis a much more fragile economy, uh, risk of inflation, and basically capital trying to reprice risk across the board. There are expectations and hopes that Turkey will somewhat revert into a more, I would say, orthodox monetary policy, i.e. management of the interest rate environments, although the president has said that he is refusing to increase the interest rates. The other side of the argument, of course, is what will happen to the Turkish lira and FX and what kind of packages or incentive packages uh, the country will ultimately uh, structure. Because, look, Turkey is a large country. It's obviously geostrategically a very important country. 
and economically, investors love nothing more than a credible reform story. Um, Murat, I wanted to, to ask you, um, particularly as you're in um, Gaziantep, if, if you expected that the government's response to the handling of the devastating earthquakes earlier this year to be more significantly reflected um, at the ballot box, most of the areas that were affected were traditional Erdogan strongholds. Yes, there are 11 provinces at the south of the country devastated by the earthquakes. There were three earthquakes, by, by the way, in two days. And it was a stronghold of AK Party government. And, you know, there was an expectation, especially in the, in the, in the eyes of the opposing parties, that the degree of support to Erdogan would go down. But it didn't happen. And in the second round, well, especially the Hatay city, traditionally very close to CHP or Kılıçdaroğlu's uh, political pattern, they voted in favor of Erdogan. Why? Because the first issue, they expected a government strong enough to build houses. The second issue, right after the first round, the opposition just accused the victims of the uh, earthquake favoring Erdogan with a harsh statements. And then what happened? Uh, the victims favored Erdogan. That's the crystal clear issue in here. And what will happen right after then? I believe that the victims will try to oversee if the governmental projects on housing the people will keep continue or not, because we will have another elections in 2024 for the municipalities. So it will be decisive in these 11 provinces. Let's talk more um, about the economy. There, there is an economic growth, but inflation in Turkey is still eye-wateringly high. Consumers have really felt the pinch of the cost of living crisis, particularly um, in the housing sector. Uh, the economy really is going to be that big issue to deal with, isn't it, Ozan? Well, look, I mean, economy is a major issue for a lot of governments around the world to deal with right now, whether it's the Western governments or Turkey or even kind of, you know, in the other parts of the world. And let's not forget that we are facing a global situation where we are even talking about the plausibility of a U.S. government default. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, but we are talking about it. And here, what I would say is that uh, maybe perhaps more important than ever before, we will focus on Turkey's uh, geopolitical ally structure. Uh, you know, again, we live in a world where, uh, you know, the concept of France-shoring, near-shoring is a thing. And Turkey's relationships, especially within certain Gulf countries, are going to probably play a prominent role in being able to prop up the economy going forwards. Finally, to answer the final part of your question when it comes to inflation, look, there are no easy solutions for any government around the world to deal with this. We have been living in a world since the end of 2008 where cheap money, free money, and printing a lot of money was the norm. And it's just going to be difficult for the whole global system to just come out of what was and trans transfer and travel into what is to come. You talk about what was and what is to come. I mean, Erdogan was very much seen by the West and investors as a, as a forward thinker, certainly um, in the first um, decade of his rule, um, ha having a fresh approach, especially when it came to, to the economy. And, and he rode that wave of economic boom. But now um, his dogged, um, some say unorthodox stance on interest rates has really flummoxed the market and will continue to do so. So how do you think investor perceptions might change of him, Ozan? Mm -hmm. 
Look, I think investors have uh, the perception that he will continue, as he said, by the way, in his election campaign over and over again, he will continue with, um, you know, what we call an orthodox monetary policy. Now, that would be fine if Turkey had a significant current account surplus. But Turkey runs a current account deficit, which always needs to be financed, which is why I basically wanted to focus on the, uh, the geopolitical ally structure that is going to be more important in being able to decipher and solve for an equation where the monetary policy is likely to remain unorthodox. It, but however, at the moment, no one knows. But let us also underline one technical matter here. Even if the Turkish governments and Turkish Central Bank, I should say, were to revert to orthodox monetary policies and wanted to increase interest rates because of the current loan composition of uh, Turkish bank balance sheets, that hike and that prospective rise in interest rates will have to take time. And throughout that time, uh, funding gaps will have to be filled. So we are looking forward to understanding what kind of structures and packages the government will put forward for that. So, Murat Aslan, does Erdogan have the right pool of people around him to get the economy back on track? Turkey, at the end of the day, you know, is 85 million people and there are a lot of names uh, in, in their financial markets or politics. So I think there's no problem. But the issue in here, Erdogan is in search of, in, you know, compatible and in the meantime, a consistent uh, individual, especially of his thinking. Well, uh, I think everyone will review exactly what he's going to do in terms of politics, foreign policy, economy and the other sectors as well. And he's trying to uh, find, you know, or build up a new team, maybe much more responsible to fix the things that are not that much uh, good up until now. Economy is one field, I believe. As Mr. Rozan uh, said, he's in a search of new name, uh, maybe Mehmet Bey, you know, the new probable uh, finance minister, maybe somebody else. But on the other hand, I think we should not only focus on the economy, but there are a bunch of things uh, should be concentrated and orchestrated. For instance, foreign policy cannot be isolated from economy because Turkey feels to intervene the problems in the vicinity of the borders, and it requires a great economic uh, infrastructure inside the country. Another issue, uh, currently, Turkey needs an infrastructural renovation because they promised people to build much more, you know, perfect roads or railroads, etc. In this sense, there's a comprehensive thinking in Turkish politics right now that can address all sorts of investments, all sorts of engagements. And I believe that yeah. it requires a crew and we have it. I mean, there's yeah. no problem with the names. So, Ozan, where does Turkey need to invest now to become more future-proof? Look, I mean, that, that answer is very simple. Uh, and it's the same answer for many countries around the world. Investing in innovation and creating or making Turkey more of an innovation hub is the sure way thing of um, having a future-proof economy. I mean, look, we live in very interesting times. We live in times where technological developments and disruption across the board uh, will impact all of our lives and will impact the um, the economies and also the geopolitical alliance structures of, of countries around the world. So I would rank innovation and obviously in the longer term, uh, parallel to that, education are as the two very important areas to invest in. Now, the reality of course is for significant 
and what I would call sticky FDI, so not hot money inflows, but long-term FDI to come into the country, investors will need to understand what kind of a playing field they have in front of them. To a certain extent, the fact that we now know what the political structures of the country could look like over the next five years will help, but there has to be clear and effective communication from the government in uh, putting investors at ease as to what that terrain will look like over the next five years. We're going to pause there, gentlemen. And Oslam, I know you have to go. So thank you very much uh, for your time. Some really sure. interesting insights there. But Murat Aslan, stay with us as still to come here on the agenda. We'll find out what Erdogan's re-election means for relations with the rest of the world. Welcome back to the agenda. Let's continue our discussion on what President Erdogan's latest victory means for Turkey and the wider world. Still with me is Murat Aslan, a senior researcher at the SETA Foundation. And I'm also joined now by Ahmet Kasim Han, the Professor of International Relations at Beykoz University. Um, gentlemen, um, let's dive in. Um, Professor Han, you know, Turkey is one of the EU's largest and most strategically important neighbours, a NATO member and a candidate for EU membership. But the relationship has been tricky over the last decade or so. What do you think this election result is going to mean for relations between Turkey and the EU? I think that the EU countries will be feeling forced to work with uh, the new Erdogan government. That is going to bring some uh, some sort of leniency to the relationship. But I am not sure if that is going to be enough for Turkey to advance its interests, exactly because of all the things that you have discussed in your previous section on the economy. Turkey is uh, very fragile when it comes to economy. It lacks credibility. A new team, uh, however credible internationally, will have quite a lot of hardships in overcoming uh, the international suspicion against the Turkish uh, economic policies, which is uh, widely shared by the funders. In this context, I would find it hard for Turkey to pursue a, an autonomous and independent foreign policy. At least Turkey will have to rely on one of the two camps. And probably in this case, the camp that will be relied on will be more to the north and the east of Turkey, which would mean the relations with Russia and China is going to provide more to Turkey than its relations with the West. And it will be very hard for the Erdogan government, however pragmatic, to turn its existing rhetoric against the West to one of cooperation and uh, one of solid uh, relationship with, with its Western partners. I wonder what you think about that, Murat, because you know, despite those sources of friction from Turkey's relationship with Russia to reticence over NATO expansion, you know, Turkey and the EU are major trading partners. So how do you think the election outcome is going to affect that and maybe shift the focus? Well, there is a reality. Turkey is waiting at the gate of EU for more than 60 years. So that means Turkey did not lose the hope, though, not that much optimistic to be a member state. On the other hand, there is one another reality. Turkey has to observe the relations with EU because there's a great potential and the existing level of trade, exchange of cultures or 
resonation with the EU or European countries individually, it's really significant. On the other hand, uh, latest one decade in Turkish history is a sort of trauma for Turkish political thinking. And it's not only about economy, but about what? Communicating briefly. And that's why Turkish current position in foreign policy is strategic autonomy. Well, it may be somehow realistic or not, but it's a fact. And I know that the West and the United States is not that much happy with this. What's your take on this in terms of Turkey's um, relationship in the region and in the rest of the world? Basically, as I said, the country is fragile when it comes to the most important aspects of uh, maintaining your international presence. The first one of these is economy. The second one is its existing relations with its institutional partners. We have to keep in mind that uh, throughout the campaign, uh, the rhetoric of the government was highly tuned in uh, with an anti-Western, anti-American rhetoric. I don't think that that might create, that, that would create a, a, a larger, as expected, kind of uh, fringe between the, between the parties, between the West and between Turkey. However, Turkey chooses to, to pursue its foreign policy path, it will be a choice between concessions and consolidations. Concessions meaning Turkey will uh, decide on conceding on some of its very strong rhetorics, be it uh, the one on Sweden or in Syria to different parties. If you choose to concede in Syria, for example, you will have to get in uh, communication with uh, the Assad government, which seems like uh, the, the only path for Turkey to choose its staggering uh, refugee problem. If you, on the other hand, choose to concede to the West, then you will have to take a harder stance against, against Russia, which is going to hurt Turkey's economic interests. So it's a choice between a rock and a hard place, to be honest, and it is not going to be easy. However, I do not find uh, Turkey's existing foreign policy, which is somehow could be characterized as muddling through in a balancing act between the two uh, parties, uh, between the West and Russia and the rest, juggling between those two parties, becoming increasingly uh, unmaintainable in the, in the near run. Uh, you mentioned migration. I'd like to pick up on that um, with, with you, though, um, Murat, because Turkey does have the highest number of migrants in the world. So can we expect any policy changes on that front? I believe that it has already changed because uh, the initial narrative of the Erdogan government was to host them, like treating them like a guest. But today they are talking about building up cities at the north of Syria. And there's a harsh policy at least to revert back the illegal immigrants coming from Afghanistan. Even though you know, determine who is legal or illegal if you don't, you don't capture them, by the way. But I see that the Erdogan's policy to have returns back to Syria, you know, it's it's just like, uh, you know, having a smooth process, facilitate people by building up a political process with Assad regime, even though it's not realistic because Assad will never be compliant to any demand having the people back from Turkey because his ultimate goal was to vacate the land from the Sunnah Arabs. Uh, so that's why 
At least there's an attempt to communicate with him. On the other hand, Turkey must be prepared for the worst case scenarios. So if Assad is not in the same, on the same page with Erdogan, I believe that military options will be on the table to be discussed, especially facilitate the returnees go back to their countries and have the terrorism in Syria be isolated or at least repelled. In this case, it's a very uh, difficult and tough problem to deal with. Both of you ha have talked about China and Turkey's relationship with China. Um, Murat, you mentioned infrastructure projects, and, and that's why, Ahmet, I want to talk to you um, about where you see that relationship growing, especially with regard to the Belt and Road Initiative. Turkey definitely would like to benefit from uh, that initiative. But again, in the existing uh, fragility of economy, it will not be able to provide enough leverage to China. And that again becomes a concession problem. What are you going to hand over to China to finance uh, some of the projects that is already out there? Most of whose uh, feasibility is questionable, like Canal Istanbul, for example, the Istanbul Channel that is fabled. So again, we are left between where to consolidate uh, Turkey's relations, the question of where to consolidate Turkey's relations, and where to concede from Turkey's interests. I do not think that Turkey can force its hands too much when it comes to using coercion more than it already did in, in, in terms of its foreign policy. So it's all uh, checks and balances and trade-offs process that is expecting us uh, also uh, when it comes to Turkey's relations with China. Amorat, I know that there is a, a very long list, but what would you say is the, the biggest challenge for, for Turkey's new government domestically, but also internationally? Well, it's really a tough question. Today, yeah, economy is the number one issue because all citizens, at least the voters of the 2024 municipality elections, they are concerned with the economy because if you do not satisfy the expectations of the voters, well, you will lose it. The second issue what well, is the security and stability because Turkey perceives a lot, uh, you know, threat either from terrorism or some other developments that Turkey cannot fully in charge with it. Uh, think that if you just count the number of headlines in Turkish foreign policy's agenda, it's more than 30. I mean, Turkish foreign policy should deal with the events or situations uh, in the meantime that is scattered to the three regions and three seas. I mean, Caucasus, uh, Balkans and the Middle East, Black Sea, Eastern Mediterranean and Aegean Sea. That's why, other than economy, I believe, foreign policy and security will be a united theme to be dealt with in the coming five years because Turkey has to be active in responding to the threats in this region. Ahmed Khan, the same question to you. What do you think the big challenge is going to be for Turkey at home and abroad? At home, definitely uh, economy. The government asked the population, the voters, to forget about the economy for the sake of preserving uh, a, a perceived threat towards Turkey's independence and security. And it seems like the electorate has bought this idea. But definitely they would be pursuing what is happening on the economy front very closely. They will be watching very closely. And they will want to see whether or not the government is able to deliver on that front as it promised. Because I don't think that this consolidation over polarization policy might work for the government 
especially in the coming uh, municipal elections. Internationally speaking, the challenges are twofold. One is with Russia and Russia-related issues or issues where Russia might be called to be more dominant in the outcomes of, and in the same way, U.S.-related issues, U.S. and the West-related issues. The biggest challenge when it comes to the Russia issue or the Russian side of the equation is Syria and the refugee problem. That is the biggest foreign policy challenge on that front. Uh, When it comes to Turkey's relations with the West, I think that the Ukrainian uh, crisis, the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and all the issues related to that, including but not limited to the Turkish participation to the embargo against Russia, will be an issue there. And uh, that will highly affect Turkey's relations with, with, with its Western partners. Coming soon on a future agenda, getting older, we'll examine the challenges of an ageing global population. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.